Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Ever found yourself spiraling down the fascinating rabbit hole of trend and start wondering if there is some sort of wizard tracking it all? Today, we are unraveling that enigma with none other than Kevin Alaka, the maestro of trends steering the ship at the intersection of culture and innovation at YouTube. Kevin, a connoisseur of trends with a dash of professional nerd, self-titled of course, has feasted his eyes on more YouTube spectacles than any mortal ever dared. With a book under his belt, illuminating the eclectic world of YouTube trends and their seismic ripples through our global culture, Kevin is about to spill all the secrets on how creators are not just witnesses, but pivotal architects in this exhilarating era of technological renaissance. Sit back and enjoy the ride. I'm very proud of what you're doing. Smile for 15 seconds out a day and make the world a better place. Welcome to Everything is Better with Creators, brought to you by Whaler. Join us as we dive into the latest trends, news, and strategies shaping the creator economy and learn how it's driving innovation and change. Here we go. Oh my goodness. Kevin Alaka is here. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to Everything is Better with Creators. I am absolutely thrilled that you're here. When I saw your name come across my calendar, I said, hold on. This is going to be big because, come on, culture and trends? You've watched them for, I mean, come on, you're the culture and trends captain. It's true. It's true. I'm the, I'm the captain of the made-up jobs club, you know? And I also love that part of your bio as well. So, I mean, let's let's start there. I would love for you to break down your origin story here and talk about your journey from being a writer and editor and now like you're pioneering this YouTube cultural and trend function at Google. Like, let's talk about this. When I first uh, entered the, you know, the workforce, I guess, post post uh, college, I wanted to be a comedy writer and I worked as a comedy writer for a bit at uh, at the Huffington Post. and. Um, and was there for a couple of years doing political satire stuff. And then I was a journalist briefly at um, a company called Media Bistro, um, where I used to um, report in the television news industry. And uh, around 2010, um, there was an initiative at YouTube to basically legitimize the platform by getting more YouTube videos on uh, TV news programs. Like that was the, the idea. Wow. TV news producers were kind of seeing that there was this emerging pop culture that was happening online, right? Viral videos. You're, it's like, this is like your double rainbow era of like internet stuff, you know? <laughs> yes. 
And so everybody's like, oh, these videos are so cool, but we don't know how to find them. Like, we'd love to like talk about the Double Rainbow video on the Today Show, but like no one knows how to find those things when they're popping up. And so YouTube was like, okay, well, we can help with that. So they basically, I joined the company to launch this thing called YouTube Trends, which was to help journalists understand what was uh, trending on the platform. And it turned out very quickly that there were all these other applications. Once you build the systems to be able to understand and explain and contextualize what's happening on the platform, there's lots of different ways that you can you can use that. And so today, 13 years later, I, the work I do is, is very different, um, but uh, it is still grounded in that basic idea of how do we understand how people are using this technology and how do we um, help other people understand what's happening on the platform. So understanding not only just for us what's popular, but for helping everyone else understand what's popular on the platform for lots of different reasons. This is fascinating. Okay, like this, this initial need also paired so beautifully with like the comedy background. Because I mean, at the, at the end of the day, like we all know like that the roots of comedy is what's happening now in culture, what's like what's relevant to the audience. So I'm seeing a lot of synergy going on here. And so again, was it, did it feel like fish out of water in terms of like it being such a basis into digital media and cultural analysis? Or did you feel like this was just like from a journalism writing by like this just, it all felt the same to you? Oh, no. I like the experience of being a, basically an editorial person at Google in 2010. It was like, oh, I'm the only person here who like, this is my experience. Definitely. I mean, even when I left my job, I, I was like, hey, guys, I, I, I put in my two weeks. I was like, I'm, I'm taking a job at Google. I was like, what? <laughs> what are you doing there? <laughs> you know? And so, I mean, even still today, like I, I feel like uh, you know, I'm much more comfortable in this unique area that I've, I've carved out. Um, but it is, it's, uh, it's, it's an unusual discipline and thing because it had never really existed before. And, you know, I was just talking to my team this week about it, that, you know, all of them have jobs that no one was ever in before. They invented their jobs, essentially, you know, they were the first person hired into their, into their role. So they've kind of made them what they are today. So it was, it was, it was an uncomfortable, weird experience in some ways, because, you know, I'm not a, I don't know how to code, you know, I'm not like a, um, a software engineer or anything like that. And the, the company is, it's a tech company, but at the same time, um, I've carved out my world, you know. Your tenacity, your grit, and being able to like lean into something that's uncomfortable, defining something new. Uh, I mean, me trying to measure success, all these things. I mean, I'm sure that again, at the end of the day, you're always trying to seek out like how to add value. And so, like again, when you're in a new role like this, uh, I'm just curious to see like when what, what was like the first aha moment where you were like, "Well, this is actually really massive," and this there's there's more than just the journalism moment. Like, how did it expand and explode? Even before I got into comedy or anything like that, I was always really obsessed with and interested in why entertainment works the way that it does. You know, I studied communication in college. I wrote a thesis about standard comedians. Like, I was always interested in like why does why does this joke work? Like, why does this thing work the way that it does? And so, I a lot of that curiosity was a major driver in how I approached sort of the beginnings of the role that I have this company now, which is trying to understand just grounding it in well, why does this exist the way it is and, and and taking a very empathetic i suppose view of entertainment which is to say like no value judgments here like if people like stuff why do they why you know i don't need to say whether it's good or bad they like those things and in the entertainment world like youtube sits at this weird especially at that time sat at this kind of intersection point of traditional entertainment and the entertainment industry and the technology industry and no one in either of those two camps at the time really like fully understood. There was a small group of people who really understood the intersection between those things. 
And, um, you know, we'd have these conversations all the time about, you know, oh, God, that thing that's so popular. Why is it even internally people couldn't understand why things were the way that they were. But I, I was finding all these things that I just became fascinated by very, very quickly. I mean, I remember being a couple like a month or two in and seeing all of these very popular Minecraft videos and just thinking like, why is this? Why does this exist as a thing? And like spending time trying to unpack it. And like, I don't, I don't play Minecraft or anything, but I understand it now to this day. And now we, last year we did this huge old thing about how it crossed a trillion views and stuff. And it was just, you could see early on, even that these phenomena that people were dismissing were actually a major, becoming a major part of pop culture for different demographics. And now today, a lot of what we think of as, as entertainment culture was forged in that time by people who are playing in those spaces. I mean, my jaw's on the ground right now, just even understanding and thinking about all of that. I mean, the fact that you were just talking about the threshold of talking about trillion, I mean, the volume here is massive that you've consumed. I mean, we're going to have to double click into this, the intersectionality of, you know, traditional media and where YouTube sits now for sure. Uh, I know that wasn't on the questionnaire, but we're going to have to go there. We have to. Let's do it. Let's do it. So let's talk about, I'm going to softball it for now and just say, again, we're talking about trillions. We're talking about such a high volume of content that you've consumed. Like, please tell me that there's a standout that you have, that's something that has, is living rent-free in your mind. Best hack, most fun. Like, what is it? This week, the hack of the week in my life is America's Test Kitchen channel has a, a cooking thing called Technically Basically, I turn out it's, I've been using my microwave wrong this whole time. Uh, and it's like one of those things where you're like, oh, my God, I just didn't even know I should be using that setting on my microwave. It changes how the whole thing works. But there's a lot of that stuff that comes up over the years that you see that, you know, sticks with you. But uh, it's funny, um, you know, I mentioned Double Rainbow before as a thing. But, you know, people often ask, like, do I have a favorite YouTube video or what's the thing I return to? And that video is um, is always the one. It's like the 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 perfect, in a way, <laughs> YouTube video. Um and it is because, I don't know if you remember it, but it's Bear Vasquez who's like out in his yard, sees a double rainbow for the first time. He's having this like crazy emotional experience to it. And he would often say that you weren't, it wasn't him seeing the rainbow. It was, you were seeing the rainbow through him. And like, it was the, it was like his perspective that made that video what it is. You could barely actually even see the rainbow in the video. It doesn't matter. It is all about his reaction. And so in a way you actually are more, authentically experiencing that moment because of him than you are by watching the image itself. Um, and I think that, that that idea of like a person who has this unique point of view, and, and Bear certainly was a unique individual with his, uh, a very unique perspective on life, um, capturing something that then the rest of the world has a response to or people all around the world react to, like that is kind of web video at its best from my perspective. And uh, so that, that video always sticks with me. I love that. I love that example for sure. Because as soon as you said that, I mean, I remember the place and time and also like, you know, clutching my chest, almost like a Hallmark moment of being like, wow, like I feel him. Like I feel that. I mean, how precious is he? Again, also how incredible are rainbows? We're all contemplating all these things that we hadn't discussed before, which again, does make it such a cool cultural conversation um, at the moment. And so, you know, I would love to hear again, now that you are well-established, we're fast forward, it's 2023 now. How are you actually defining culture? And like, what is that definition or the filters that things have to go through to actually even be considered by you and your team? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's so complicated now. Um, and just the, we have a whole generation of people who grew up making things online. It's a, become a lot more self-referential. 
it means that a lot of the means with which we would analyze things changes over time. You have different formats now, live streams, short form, long form, uh, how topics and, and the way that those topics are articulated across those different formats can vary. So, I mean, as a group, we've made a couple of decisions over the years that I think have shaped kind of how we are. We don't really do a lot of vertical specific analysis because it's become so hard. To, I mean, the music is its own thing and stuff, but genre becomes incredibly blurry on YouTube and maybe doesn't even matter. And we don't think about things that way, but we do think, uh, you know, my team spread out all over the world. We have people covering 13 different markets or, you know, locales for us, which includes some regions like MENA, Middle East and North Africa and countries like, you know, France and stuff. And so we look at things very much through the lens of cultures and the people who are experiencing them, right? So we look at content in these different markets and, and things. And I, I'd say like, over the years, the we used to look a lot at like individual videos, what like what videos are popping, and then it became what creators are popping, and now it's a lot more about topics and um, conversations and things. Um, so that that sort of changed over time. But we, we look, we analyze these things from a lot of different perspectives, and we we also now we run surveys to with companies like Ipsos to validate some of these hypotheses of things that we're seeing because you kind of have to look at this stuff from lots of different angles. I love again. I love that there is this, you know truly organic way that you're going about it. And then also I think how amazing is it that all of this has evolved to these communities? Like the communities are now the creator. These fandoms are now their own entity in which that are shifting and like directing conversation that are just as powerful as the creator themselves. And I think that's just like super interesting because when I was reading your 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 culture and trend report, you talk about like all these intersect like all these different hierarchies of fandom. Um, I'd love for you to like chat about that for a bit and like, what are you seeing? And like, what's like the most captivating thing that you're seeing happening in that space? Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea, even though we, I think we've, we've all perceived this happening now, like it's become a much more uh, common experience of watching content from other quote unquote fans um, is, is a much more common part of the pop culture experience. 47% of Gen Z that we surveyed um, in, uh, this is across, um, 16 different countries that we run this, these surveys in um, responded that they've watched um, videos made by fans of specific content or artists in the past 12 months. So it's like almost half of your, your Gen Z demographic. 54% of the people that we surveyed across um, basically Gen Z's millennials agree that they would prefer to watch creators breaking down a major event than the event itself. Um, so even the lens, the, the, the lens that we we seek to view a lot of moments now is actually through the lens of creators and and therefore the communities that they are a part of, which again le le speaks to this fandom thing. And 60%, about 60% of, of Gen Z that we surveyed said they would describe themselves as a really big or super fan of someone or something. So like the fandom thing has become a much more common sort of part of, of how we think about entertainment and content that is created out, out of the fandom is like part of the entertainment experience within that. In that group and people don't consider themselves like part of fandoms and things but everybody or most people have some example of this even you could argue you know major tech reviewers you'll get marquez brownlee like that is a fan community of people who are into technology and he is the king of that thing but um it is content about other things in, in a way and we're, we're in this world where the conversations that we have about content have become content um and become culture that is a, a sort of a, a different way of of thinking about um entertainment that was really possible previously. For sure. I know that, you know, with the work that we're doing here at Whaler and we're working with a brand partner, that is like one of our 
quintessential like keys of like this is when you know you've made it is when you make it into meme culture people are you know wanting to remix and and do other things with your content for it to become a larger conversation that is like one of our markers of of success for sure and again i'm just so, so glad to see that in here and that it's being recognized because it is huge it's like that this this way that people are able to create content is it's just beyond like it's at scale and people are just doing it on a whim. Well, it's, it, I think fandom's been interesting for us to examine lately because it, 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 it's an interesting intersection point between this phenomenon of popular culture becoming more personalized and the existence of shared cultural experiences, which definitely still exist, right? It's like, it's not like they don't, ex- there's no shared culture anymore. Um, that's not the case, but we also know that personalization is playing a much bigger role in how we think about entertainment and, and, and culture today. When you, when you ask people about their preferences and the content they watch, people are watching content that other people they know don't know about. You know, they're watching artists that no one they know are interested in. That's a much more common phenomenon now that, than it was previously. But you also like, certainly have shared experience, things that are happening online, whether that's a trend that's born online or you know, massive movies and things like that. So it's interesting to see those things kind of, uh, you know, intersecting with one another um, in in this fandom place. For sure. I mean, subculture and people's secret interests, um, along with, you know, pop culture, again, it, the whole thing is just so yummy and delicious to just like have, I'm like, let's just talk about this all the time, because there's just too, there's so much to talk about here. But I would like to talk to you about the customization piece and like you were saying personal interest piece and how and now we can like get into this whole like evolution between traditional media and what's being provided on your platform and why we're seeing such high volume of consumption of people just can't get enough of it so i mean do you really feel like we are at the dawn of tvc going bye-bye i would love to hear your your hot take on that I'm not great at predictions and I'll tell, and it's funny given, given my job, but it's like, I, I'm really resistant to predicting things. And I think it's because it's so hard to understand what's happening right now that the idea of then also predicting what's going to happen in the future, there's just so many variables. It's a naturally chaotic system. So it's really hard, I think, to predict these things. And a lot of people who do make these predictions, like, I don't know, I have a lot of suspicions about certain things, but you know, I think when you look at what's happening today, certainly, it's not like we don't have breakthrough entertainment that exists. And I think that will still continue to exist. What it looks like and what it feels like is just becoming more diversified. And I think that that's the natural reality. I think the introduction of, of multi-format consumption, or you know, what we think of as people watching content across different formats, um, is also changing the, this, the, these environments. Again, it's another way to think about personalization, because the format that you watch something is often tied to the personal con- context in any given moment, right? Like, oh, you want to flip through some stuff, so you watch the short form things. You want to put something on your TV. You know, we know the connected TV consumption of online content's exploded. Like, that's just that's a nice to watch a long form thing. You know, you're gonna watch a live stream. Like, these are all kind of contextual, and it comes down to the individual user's um, experience. And then you see what what a lot of the all the the creators that are growing the fastest right now are the ones that are playing across these different formats. You know, we look at the top creators that are seeing the most growth and that is the one common thing that is clear across all of them on YouTube is that they're they're playing across different formats. And so I think this challenges our notion of what entertainment looks like, feels like, you know, from mass media context. But I feel like that's been playing out for the last, you know, decade or so for sure. And I think the pandemic really accelerated some of these things. Absolutely. I mean, if you all didn't pick up that gem that 
Kevin just dropped on us. I mean, I'm loving that you did see again. It's like it's it is about a multi-platform play um, and and re- and really spreading it all out there and, and being wherever things can be watched and and having something available on every platform. There's something to be really really said about that for sure. Hey, hang tight. We're not going anywhere. Our Everything is Better with Creators podcast will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brain or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. If so, if you were going to give someone advice who wants to go on YouTube today, like what do you feel like is the biggest and most important thing um, that someone should know about if, as a, from a creator perspective, getting on your platform? Yeah, well, the first thing you should know, and people, if you are a creator and you're watching this, you know this all too well, is that um, the word creator is deceiving because the act of creation is one, only one part of the job. <laughs> you know, the part of the job description about audience development and business development and stuff that's not mentioned in the, in the name. You know, these are the realities. And so I bring this up to say, like, if you're entering this world today, the the, the single simplest sort of advice that I have is that you need to find the intersection of a thing that you're really passionate about that you want to spend a lot of time thinking about and your own unique personality and what you can bring to that conversation. Like those two things are, are so essential. And then everything else is optimization beyond that. You know, everything else becomes about, okay, how do I figure out the tricks and the hacks and what, how do I get my thumbnails right? And what's the right seat, you know, the right titling conventions or what's the stuff that like people are responding to? How do I experiment with different formats? But like the, the foundational thing of like, what's the thing that I care about that I want to share and what is my unique take on that thing? That's really hard. That's the foundational act in a way. That's the foundational thing. And that will evolve over time, of course. But um, it's not a thing you just jump into and you're like, I want to make stuff and then we go. Um, it doesn't quite work that way. And it's interesting when you look at a lot of younger creators who grown up with the technology, everybody's making stuff now, cross ages, people are way more comfortable on camera, et cetera. So the thing that separates out a lot of them is that that hunger to like understand all the other little pieces of things and be a part of conversations and building connections between things and experimenting. I mean, Mr. Beast is obviously the biggest creator in the world right now. And his whole MO is to experiment. Everything he puts out is an experiment in something. And he's constantly trying new things. I mean, he's not, you know, a comedian in a traditional context. You know, it's funny when you think about it in a traditional lens, like go back to the genre conversation, like what genre is Mr. Beast? Like what's his, 
his core talent. It's like making content that people connect with. It's like, it's his thing. Um, and it is, that is the core skill. So anyway, that's my rant about it. I think, again, those are, those are things that I think that it always seems so easy at first. But like you said, like, this is really about this longevity of curiosity and how invested are you in this topic? Like, I mean, of course, anyone can just post and ghost, but you're right. To truly be a creator, there's something so much larger there outside of, of the edit. But I have to give you all a lot of credit because the edit, you all made it a lot easier. I mean, I'm actually in awe of what YouTube has done in terms of you all yourselves lowering the barrier of entry onto your platform because for a while there, YouTube was like this, like, oh, that's for like the pro pro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's going to be like, we're going to we're going to have to like watch some YouTube to get our editing skills together to get on YouTube. So, I mean, the evolution, like talk to me about about that and how um, like the thought process on making things easier and the the foray into podcasting and short form and all these things with shorts. Um, I would just love to hear some of your thoughts on the evolution of where you all are now and like any um, teasers you can have about where you're also thinking. Well, it's, 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 it's always, there's always this interesting question of uh, do the features define the content or does the content define the features? And, um, uh, you know, there's some, obviously like a relationship between the two, right? Because the features define the constraints that then people bring their creativity to. But you, a lot of what you see on YouTube, a lot of the features you see on YouTube are things that are built out of things that people want to do or trying to do already. And we're just, people were already making i remember the day when someone said to me you know i think youtube might be the biggest podcasting platform in the world and it's like oh yeah i guess that's true like you know if you just think about it like it's you don't think about it like a podcasting platform but maybe that's true this is you know i don't know how legitimate the stat was but it's just like conceptually right then now it's like we have all these podcasting features to make that easier because people are already doing it on the platform and i think all the creation stuff is tied to that too i mean we are i i would say that part of what defines this particular era of of entertainment is that the act of creating video is a pop culture experience in and of itself. More and more people want to participate in a trend, not to get seen or to build audience or to grow their whatever, but just to be a part of a thing and, and to make something. And the filters that you see on all these, on all these apps are, are playing into that. Um, in the surveys that we ran, 65% of Gen Z have used a filter or feature or effect on a video app in the past year. 41% of Gen Z describe themselves as video content creators. Uh, you know, so this the act of making and manipulating these these tools is a pop culture experience in and of itself, independent of the content that is produced outside of that. And so I think, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've built is to make it easier for people to do the things they're already trying to do. Um, and that's always been the MO, or to make it easier to earn a living and, and to be successful doing the things that people want to do. Um, rather than trying to say, okay, here's the future of whatever, you know, at any given moment. Um, but of course, we're having this conversation in a very interesting moment as we're all observing this change in media around generative AI. I mean, come on, that part alone is, I mean, I, the, the, the tidal wave of things around that topic alone have been wild. And for creators, I mean, I would love just to get some more, have you double click into that piece of it, you know, this VTuber situation, how it's, you know, sparking so much creativity, how it is, you know, taking away some of the bandwidth weight off of the creation process itself. Like, I would love to hear what your take is on that. And what are your, what are you seeing? And what are you excited about in terms of AI? 
Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be concerned about and excited about with all of these things, of course. I think we are right to have a skepticism about some of it. But when you look at what creators are doing with it today, um, there's some interesting stuff that's happening. I mean, that we've, we've been kind of, we've been watching. One is there are a lot of videos that are employing AI-based tools that you don't even know because it's just helping with the edit or helping with the, you know, the script or it's helping with the graphics and things which are expensive parts of the process, right, for a creator. So there, there's uh, what I would say is like optimization stuff that, um, creative optimization that happens with with some of these things. It's like step one. And then you then you get into this other space of people kind of, you know, starting to play with um, the actual generative AI tools as a, a way to express themselves. And, and, and things get interesting there because what you're essentially enabling is for people to conceive of and create and realize complex creative visions um, with a high level of fidelity and a high level of speed, right? So you can do it fast and you can do it in, in, in a manner that feels professional uh, very quickly. And what that means theoretically, right? There's a, there's a, my hypothesis is that what you should end up with is a much more diverse outcome, right? Because you have more people with more perspectives who have access to be able to create more elaborate things and to realize more complex things. Um, and so, you know, while of course we're going to see a high volume of just garbage, of course, because anytime you can make things more easily, there's more garbage <laughs> that comes with it. You're also going to see a lot more people who have access to express themselves. And I don't know, I think that could be really, I think that that will be really interesting to watch um, as we should have access to more voices and perspectives because of it. Um, that's the optimistic point of view on a lot of these things. And then like the VTuber thing is like an interesting kind of, I don't know, tangential thing that's happened with, for those that don't know. VTuber is short for virtual YouTuber, um, and it's part of this virtual influencer phenomenon that's been kind of ruminating, but has, has accelerated more quickly recently. And it's mostly coming out of Asia. Um, we saw it first in Japan, but though we see there's a lot of YouTubers across Latin America and the U.S. now, um, and and South Korea, there's also a lot happening in this space. And you know, I I was curious. I we ran some questions in the survey, and um, more than half of the people that we surveyed said that they watched a VTuber in the past year, and 61% of people agreed that they were open to watching content from virtual or animated influencers. And that what is something that it's confounding in a way because you think about like authenticity being so key to digital expression and we've been having a debate ourselves like in uh, when I say that I mean me and my team like you know does it is it more authentic if you can express yourself because in an in, anonymously, you know? This is a, a, an interesting question. Um certainly is the case in certain some cultures. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've been really fascinated by that whole area of creativity right now is, is people using digital avatars and things uh, and what that will mean. I mean, it's the whole thing is, is mind boggling, captivating all, it's all of the things. And same, I'm very interested in that space, especially with me looking out for our creators futures, you know, around IP. And there's just, again, there's, there is quite the double edged sword we're dealing with here, but it is captivating to watch and seeing how also, um, the audience, how accepting the audience is, is or isn't, you know what I'm saying of, and I was like that particular stat that you read off, I was particularly like, okay, this is very interesting. This is a lot more fertile ground than I had anticipated. So again, very, very interesting, but I'm going to, because you see so much data and I have to think about like your book, videocracy, you know, the fact that it's exploring all these trends and that you are again, like an impact that it's had on culture. Are you feeling like, is there a second book coming around the corner? Is there, (laughs) 
do you, I mean, I would just love to hear about anything that has been like top of mind for you that you've been like, whoa, I remember talking about this at one point and now I'm seeing this or just anything that you found that's the most fascinating. I would love to hear your thoughts on again, what continues to fascinate you or um, stand out to you. Yeah. So there's a couple things that are, I'm, I've been very compelled by, I don't know if I'm writing a book about them, but things that I'm very compelled by right now, which is sort of how content and creativity spreads across geographies. Um, and there are a lot of, there's been a lot of interesting technology that's things that are not necessarily the most sexy, like types of technologies that actually, I think have had a meaningful impact in culture and will have a, a meaningful impact in culture. By that, I mean, I think the the most prominent example of that multi-language audio, right? The ability for people to upload multiple audio tracks um, in different languages. You combine that with some of the generative AI tools and we, we they already exist. Um, you know, there's a, some, a very like early versions of this that exist um, where you are, you can be a creator and you can just dub your video immediately. And I, you know, there's a, a, a educational creator in Brazil that I'm, I, I saw a video of who he's got, he just dubbed his video in English by, you know, using this, this AI tool that exists. It's not in his voice exactly. It doesn't quite get his intonation or anything, but that's just, that's a technology problem that I think will, will get solved. Mr. Beast puts out his videos now. He's got like 15 different audio tracks. Now those are manually recorded because he has the budget to do that. Um, but it's totally expanded his potential audience now, you know? So the ability for content and, and ideas to be able to spread more easily to different places because they're being basically unlocked by these these technologies is really interesting. I mean, a little bit less of a dramatic thing shift, but captioning is another thing. Captions and subtitles, we think about that stuff as um, kind of accessibility tools, I guess, in a way. You'd put it in that category. But I just as a, another survey question that I put in just because I was curious about was 60% um, of Gen Z agreed that they prefer to watch content online with subtitles and closed captions on. And 86% said that they'd watch content with closed captions or subtitles you know, once a month or more. Um, and so you, it's already happening that people are using these tools because maybe the context that they're in, they, they're, it's too loud. They want to be able to watch or the audio is mixed bad or whatever, you know, the New York times just had a whole piece about subtitles as well in sort of longer form content. So I've been, I've been really intrigued by how, what we think of as accessibility tools that allow the creator and the audience to more closely tailor the the content to the viewer, right? To, to their, their experience and their accessibility level, what that could mean for entertainment um, in the future. It's the early days now, but um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to watch. I love that. I mean, again, like you said, such a simple application, but yes, if I can understand you in my, in my mother tongue, of course, like that is so straightforward, but whoa, is that impactful, not only for the viewer, but also for the, for the creator? I mean, come on. It's genius. It's a genius strategy um, alone. And I think all of us could like pay attention to that. And I'm also someone who watches content with the captions on just for, you know, so I can concentrate because I, my, my neurodivergence requires me to like lock in and that helps me like really pay attention. No, no detail is lost uh, when I have yeah. the captions on. So if I can have them, I want them. So I, again, that's like a game changer for me also that I think is like really, really special for sure. I think a lot about, you know, when I used to get, in the early when we were talking earlier about my my early years at YouTube and I used to I used to go and on morning shows and talk about things that were happening online and stuff and and there, a lot of the viral videos of that era if you'll recall were like kids and babies and you know like Charlie bit my finger type stuff and and cats and pet stuff you know and 
part of the reason for that was that that content transcended language. If you could ask, if you could poll the whole world on things that they find at least moderately entertaining, it's like anthropomorphized animals and like kids doing funny stuff, you know, it's a universal thing. And so you have the, that content, which is because it was a global platform. It's the first time that we really were thinking about content truly globally um, in from an entertainment perspective outside of like some movies that have huge distribution. But today, it, you can be a lot more nuanced with that and that, that model of, oh, it has to it has to by its very nature be broadly accessible is not necessarily the case. I mean, obviously, humor and culture and these things will always be specific. And so it's not like borders don't matter anymore or anything like that. but. Um, we're seeing a lot more people and diaspora communities having access to content has changed how trends spread around the world, you know? For sure. I mean, and with that information, I mean, I would love to know what shifts are you seeing in demographics or in, in diversity? Because uh, I mean, it's beyond just a demographic, but I would just love to know like from a cultural or geographical location um, standpoint, you know, are there some interesting shifts happening there? And how do you see like diversity evolving on the platform? Yeah, um, it's. It's a complicated question because actually diversity is is uh, can be a difficult thing to measure in the way that we look at a lot of these things, you know? Um, it gets you into some, I don't know, challenging questions of, about stuff. But if you just think about it from a, a global perspective, you know, certainly we're watching more and more content from different parts of the world. I mean, you look at what the, one of the most arguably popular, you know, music genres who have risen. If you look at the two of the most popular music genres that are in the charts today that weren't before, you know, it's K-pop, it's, it's like Latin music, it's regional Mexican music in the United States, you know? And so you, we're seeing this happen. You're right. I mean, whoa, you explosion of that conversation happening. Totally. In, in the survey that we ran, uh, we found that 54% of people agree that they follow a creator who creates content in a language other than their own. So people are starting to consume more content from other places. No, this is not that uncommon. They're not American, honestly. Like if you're French, you know, it's like you have a different perspective on this stuff because we export so much content. But in the U.S., it's uncommon. People aren't used to that as an idea. True. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, now I'm like, I, like these soap operas and all these things that are now dubbed in English where I'm all, these are some captivating storytelling. This is some captivating storytelling happening here. And why is this not, have why have I not seen this until now? Um, again, it's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've certainly seen an influence in music and, and it's in starting in, in other places now um, of, you know, different cultures and different places and how those things are, are being consumed. And of course, but there are still unique cultural peculiarities, like peculiarities, I mean, I put it that way, but there are things that are distinct about different cultures, you know, and for music in India is very different than the United States because the entire Bollywood and there's just a whole other culture that exists around it. So of course, that's a different, um, and these things can spread, but like if you grow up in that, in the entertainment environment, it's going to be different. So, you know, we look at this stuff uh, through a lot of different lenses all the time. It was a big unlock for me when we started, like if, when the team used to be just me, but now we have a trends manager for Korea. We have a, we have a trends expert, you know, in Japan and stuff. And when you, ha when you unlock that and you start looking at it more globally, you can start to see a different picture of, of how a lot of these things evolve. Oh my gosh. Like, was it like, I would love to know that, like, as we're wrapping up things here. Um, and of course we always leave time, Kevin, if there's like something that you want to touch on before we close out, but you know, let's talk about building a team. I mean, like you said, this is your baby. You started this thing off. Like, what are you looking for in terms of like, what's someone's DNA to get onto a team like yours? 
there are now similar teams that exist at, at other platforms. So it used to be I could I, you could never find somebody who had the direct experience of doing the stuff that I was looking for. So we ended up hiring a lot of a lot of journalists because I learned I learned sort of quickly that I could teach someone to do data analysis more easily than I could teach like a data analyst understand culture. You know, like it's, it's like it's what the actual act of investigating and explaining stuff is is the harder thing. The data analysis is also very hard, but um, you know, there's like a, a level that we could get by with on these things. And so, you know, a, a lot of times we're looking for smart people who are incredibly curious and professional in that curiosity, I suppose, um, and are excellent communicators because they can explain. It's like if you can find something really interesting, but you can't explain it to anyone, it really loses its value. Um, so that's been a big part of the team that we've we've put together. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to work with just brilliant people who have such interesting perspectives on on this from from so many different places for sure because you know again i'm not i'm obsessed with creators obviously in my role and in order for the creators to be their most successful we have to talk about the supporting roles that surround them and like you and your team are very much so breaking all of this down in such a vital way to ensure that the creator economy continues to expand that you know that people can understand its evolution and like what's important and what is happening, how things are evolving. So again, I just think that it's so interesting to see that, you know, so many young people say that now creator is something that they aspire to be. I also want to leave room and space for people to understand like their career development around those who want to support creators and who love social. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that the world, the the creator to creator economy, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, the sort of supporting world of of creativity that exists around this is um has grown so much. It did it didn't really exist back in the day and um and now back in the day. I'm talking like ten years ago. A lot of this stuff didn't really exist, you know? Yeah. But now there's there's so many interesting opportunities to I mean, this is this is pop culture now. This is this is the entertainment landscape of now in the future and so if you're growing up right now and you're looking for an exciting job in entertainment you're not like me you know, being like oh i can't wait to get out to a writer's room in la you know that's what i wanted to do like uh you know you're you're doing it yourself right now or, or you're working with your your friends or you're 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 getting into it in, in in a lot of new different ways you know for sure again like i think it's it's so it's inspiring it's it's exciting to see and again it just shows the depth and breadth of the work that's out there and like the importance that it is having on culture and that it will continue to have on culture. So, so important. So again, this has been, again, incredibly rich, but tell me, Kevin, is there anything that you've left on the dance floor that you want to explore? Because when I tell you, when I read your report, I was like, I could literally be on here talking to Kevin for eight hours, but I want to know like, what is there? Is there a section in there or something that you're particularly proud of or want to highlight? I think we hit a lot of the stuff that I, that I care about most. I think, the thing that I would maybe leave you with here is that I've been at you know YouTube for 13 years now, to watching video trends, tracking kind of this ecosystem for for 13 years. And there's a question you ask yourself when you've done that for that long: of uh, okay, is this enough? <laughs> you know, like I was just, have I have I is it time to have a different you know a different challenge in your life? Um, and as someone who as I self-professed earlier you know is fascinated by trying to understand why people like things and and and, and whatnot uh, i do think that then this moment is one of the most 
is going to the next year or two could be one of the most interesting times to be in in the creator world. It is a time when I think the thing that and one of the main points that I make in my book Videocracy is that popular culture has become uh, in, in more reflective of, of us, right? It is like our, the ways that we interact with popular culture has, have shaped it in a way that wasn't possible previously. So the popular, popular culture today is much more reflective of the human experience, I think, than it, it was previously. Um, that's my argument, at least. But I, I, I say that, that like, because the, the technologies that will define entertainment 10 years from now are nascent today and the way the the norms that we create the new innovations that we generate these these tech companies youtube included are responding to the ways that creators are using them right that they're adapting to the way that the people who use our platform choose to use it you know and um that will set the tone for for good and bad it will set the tone for what it can mean what breakthrough popular culture looks like, you know, in the future. And I think that the creators right now are the ones that are going to define a lot of those norms and a lot of the opportunities that I think we have in the future. And I think that makes it an exciting moment. For sure. I 100% I agree. Like we are, there is like a collision of so many different tensions that are happening right now of, you know, like this heavy reality that people are craving. They want to see themselves rather than something unattainable alongside all of this all these technological advances. It is, again, I'm on the edge of my seat every single day <laughs> to see, again, like what's going to continue to break boundaries and what are people going to find um, irresistible um, every step of the way. So again, I'm, I'm hooked now, Kevin, on this, on this report. And I cannot wait to continue to follow you and your team's journey. Like this is so, so good. Thank you so much for all of this. No, it was, uh, this is a blast. It was so good to hang out with you and talk about these these topics that I'm so I'm so fascinated by. So yeah, this has been great. For sure, for sure. All right. Well, that we're gonna leave it there, everyone. Everything is better with creators is honored to be a part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. And we are grateful for your support. If you enjoyed the show, hit that subscribe button. And if you have a moment, we'd appreciate a rating and review. up with all things Whaler and the latest in the creator economy, visit us at whaler.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. This is Ashley Rudder signing off for now. We'll catch you next time with another episode of Everything is Better with Creators, powered by Whaler. Thanks for tuning in. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 